we had our own experiences to share because we wanted to show other women, specifically mothers, because I think there's just one extra layer of difficulty once you have kids that gets thrown into the mix. Um, we just wanted to share our stories. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Artists of Data Science. Today, we've got a conversations episode where we get to hear from the people who are doing interesting work, pursuing their dreams, and adding value to the world. We're going to get inside their heads, see what makes them tick, and walk away with a new perspective that'll help us in our journeys. These episodes are much less structured and formal than what you normally hear on the show. They're raw, unedited, unproduced. Thank you for tuning in, and I'd love to hear what you think about these episodes. Feel free to email me at theartistsofdatascience at gmail.com with your thoughts. Today's guest is one of LinkedIn's top voices in data and analytics for two years running. She's the author of several books, including The Disruptors, Data Science Leaders, Journey to Data Science, Data Literacy for Kids, Mothers of Data Science, and she's also the host of Humans of Data Science, a series of short video interviews on YouTube where we get to know the individuals behind data science. But you might recognize her from LinkedIn or as the founder of the Dedicated Challenge, a project dedicated to helping others learn about various topics in the data realm. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me in welcoming our guest today, founder of the Dedicated Academy and Story by Data, the one and only Kate Strachny. Kate, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here today. I really appreciate you being here. Wow, this has got to be the best introduction I've ever had. Seriously, thank you so much. Happy to be here. Oh, absolutely. So Kate, talk to us a little bit about uh, where you grew up and what was it like there? I grew up in Tajikistan. I am the youngest of four. To describe how it was, picture mountains, not much electricity or indoor plumbing, and we had sheep. So that's probably something people don't know about me. So, yeah, that's crazy, man. I didn't I did not know you're from Tajikistan. Where is that? So Tajikistan. Have you if you've seen the movie Borat, he makes yes. fun of a country called Kazakhstan. It's right next to Kazakhstan. So wow. it, yeah. How old are you? It's a former Soviet Union. Okay. How old were you when you moved over to the states? So I was almost nine when I moved to the States. And the interesting thing is I've never actually been to school in my country, though all three of my siblings somehow ended up going to school. I was the only one who my first time in school ever was in America in fourth grade. So that was that was interesting. Okay, so at least they didn't make you start as a kindergartner. As my mom wanted that. My mom said, <laughs> here she is. She's almost nine. She doesn't speak English. She does not know math. She can barely read and write in Russian. Um, put her in first grade. And they're like, she's nine. Because, you know, in America, you're born this year, you're going to this class. And thank goodness for that in that case, because, um, yeah, I'd still be in college or something at this point, making up, making up time. That is really crazy. And just to think about that, like how far you've came in, in the, that amount of time. I'm curious, like you came here when you're nine years old. What kind of a kid were you in high school? Not a good one. I was not a good teenager. So I, I um, you know what, what people start doing when they're 21, like they go to parties and they hang out. I, I had my first job when I was 13 years old. Um, I was working at a restaurant as a waitress and my mom was pretty relaxed in terms of having no curfew whatsoever. So I was able to uh, work in the morning, do school, work in the evenings and then party at night. So it was a uh, I was an interesting teenager in that sense. I still had really good grades, but I, I didn't have much control around what I do and or my schedule. Was it like a family restaurant that you worked in or was this just a, a restaurant? I mean, it was family owned, not by my family, but um, the, the lady there actually used to steal my tips. So I was not paid to work there. I was an unpaid waitress for several years. And uh, the lady who would go through the check, this is before people really used credit cards that much. She would, um, she would look at the numbers, like if I got tipped $7, she'd look at it, keep the five. She was old. She was very old, very old school too. And she would just tell me, is $2 enough for you? Or then she'll just give me a dollar. And I was too nice. I was raised with, you know, very good manners. So I'd be like, thank you. Yes. That's crazy. I actually, my first job as well, I was 12 years old and it was like at a family pizza restaurant, but it was my uncle's pizza restaurant. And very similar to what you're describing is like the same thing. I'd like, like 
work and then my uncles would like pay me five dollars to work the entire day until i revolted i was like dude you got to give me more than five dollars for an entire evening and my uncle's response to me like i remember this very clearly he looked at me dead in my eyes he's like if it wasn't for me you'd still be at home watching steve urkel and i was like all right well fair enough fair enough what did you think your future would look like when you were in high school so the expectation, um, you know, I was, the, I was the first, I'm the youngest of four, but I was also the first one to graduate college. So the expectation in my family was you go to high school and then you get a job, right? But I don't remember exactly what convinced me to even look at colleges, but I remember looking at schools and thinking, I don't want to be the one scrubbing the floors of, you know, of a restaurant while people are eating. I want to be the person eating at that restaurant, right? Like the... I wanted that different lifestyle. And I didn't really have too many role models around of individuals who had a corporate gig or something where I could say, ooh, that's what I want to do. Um, but my brother was working as, I guess, an accountant. He didn't have a degree, but he was working at some company doing some accounting. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll do accounting. I looked up to him. He's like 11 years older than me. And I remember just applying to CUNY colleges, which is like the city of New York, um, colleges, they were really affordable, which was great for me because I was working for what $7.25 at that point at a bagel store. That was an upgrade. I had a steady income, okay? Yeah. Plus tips that were not stolen from me. So that was an upgrade in my in, in my high school times. The, the first job was more in um, the early years of high school. Um, but yeah, that's I, I didn't know what the future would hold. I just knew that I wanted to be successful. I didn't know what career I wanted to go into Accounting was the only thing I've heard of. So I was, I was going to go to college and study accounting. That was the plan. And like, how different is life now than what you thought it would be like? Yeah, life, uh, life is interesting. I mean, whenever I talk to people in high school or college now, like none of this really matters, right? In that moment, you think this is the only thing that matters is getting that A or finding your major. Um, I ended up studying finance and went through several roles in risk management, regulatory compliance, finally ended up in data analytics, data science about six years ago. But yeah, it's a roller coaster of, of different different experiences. Never, never did I think I'd land where I am now, you know, luckily, lucky enough to run my own business, well a couple of businesses and and being successful at it. So it's it's been a really great ride and I'm, I'm glad to be where I am today and really carve out a name and place for yourself in, in data and in data science. How did you start getting involved with the data world? Yeah, that actually all happened by accident. So it was six years ago. I was still working on risk management, regulatory compliance. I was doing consulting, and which meant a lot of travel, late nights and weekends, every weekend, like both Saturdays and Sundays. You wake up, you're with your laptop. And I remember I was having my first daughter and I didn't want to miss her, basically her whole life, right? And I saw how some other people in that company and other companies, they basically had to hire a nanny, not see their child the first few months, years or, you know, of their life. And I knew that after a while, the kids go off to school. So I'm like, I'm either going to not work, which is not an option for me. I've never not worked in my life since I was you know, 13. Um, or I can find a remote gig, which six years ago wasn't as common as it is today, where I don't know how many, what, half the world is working from home right now, if not more. So I remember asking, uh, asking around internally for some remote gig. I would do anything, right? I said I'd wash floors. And then I know it doesn't make sense because remotely, how are you going to wash floors? And that brings me back to my first job. But yeah, I remember looking for a few months while I was um, still on maternity leave. And I was lucky enough to find a gig that basically allowed me to work from home for six months. It was data insights strategy manager or something like that. All I had to do was come into the office once a month. And I was like, sold. I don't care what I have to do. Lucky for me, the first week of my working in data analytics, I fell in love with it. I, I was given some data to play with. I was given Tableau software. I didn't know what that was, but I went full force into it. I, I took up the data scientist toolkit from Coursera course. I read every blog on Medium. Like I went crazy with it. And then I started my own YouTube channel and started just putting content out there as I learn, um, as I learn anything new, I would put it out there. So that's kind of how it started with 
my, my social media and, and data. And you really were able to like really zero in on the one aspect that you truly love of data with, I mean, I'm just assuming that you truly love it was the visualization aspect of it, right? So how, how did that come about? Like, were you artistic as a kid at all? Like, did you enjoy drawing? Did you enjoy communicating visually? Like, how did that, how did that kind of focus come to, come to be? Yeah, I don't think it happened um, from my childhood. I mean, we did play with Play-Doh and paint and stuff like that, but mostly I played with animals and picked up their poop. But, you know, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that brings me back to the good old days. <laughs> Um, I think it happened early on when I, with my new role, because I would visualize some data and I would get feedback from the manager. And I remember at one point he said something like, I don't know what you're doing, Kate, but it's looking better and it looks better every time because I would tweak things, right? I would choose better colors. I would remove some grid lines and, you know, those tiny little things where people don't really know what it is you're doing, but it's looking better. And I think it was that positive reinforcement where I was like, yeah. And that ability to visualize and tell a story from, you know, five different data sets that you've put together and merged and you're able to get insights that no one's ever seen before. And I think that's when it was like a light bulb moment. I'm like, I, I love this. That's awesome. So like during this, this entire journey, you're also building up your brand on LinkedIn and, and getting recognized on there. What was that like? Like how long did it take you to get that momentum behind you know, from, from uh, presumably LinkedIn zero connections to, to where you are now? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Again, it was never my intention to be like LinkedIn top voice and data never even crossed my mind. I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, but what happened was one of my first posts probably six years ago or so was about my wanting to get certified in Tableau or some of my goals that I wanted to achieve. And I got a few positive comments like, you got this, hey, you can do it. And I was like, oh, these data people are so nice. I'm going to keep posting. Again, it's that positive reinforcement when you do something and you get good feedback. Um, but I, I mean, I've had LinkedIn since 2009. I didn't really use it much. And it wasn't really a content platform at that time anyways. But even early on, I, I used it for, for one of my first jobs, which was selling risk training. I used it to get into the door of some of the chief risk officers where I wanted to sell the training, which actually led me to being hired by that chief, that chief risk officer of the bank, uh, where I ended up working for a year uh, prior to going into consulting. So, I mean, I love LinkedIn. It's by far my favorite social media platform, but it all started with that one post and then just kept me coming back. Yeah, I absolutely love LinkedIn as well. It's my platform of choice. Like, I, Seriously, like I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for LinkedIn. Like I owe so much to that platform. When um, did you get started? So I've I've probably had a LinkedIn account since like the mid two thousands, like probably two thousand five no two thousand eight, maybe something like that. Okay, okay. So you're a year, a year before me, all right. <laughs> yeah, like I had Facebook dude like in two thousand four. So I'm like OG oh, with social media. And before that I had MySpace before MySpace I had Friendster. So like I'm, I'm what's Friendster? <laughs> are you serious? I've never heard of Friendster. Oh, I started with uh, it's called We Meet. You probably know nothing about that. It's it's nah. it's W H I M I T, but it's like a Russian accent way of saying We Meet. Ah. So it was like a Russian uh, Facebook, I guess. But I started with MySpace for those who are familiar with those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, I mean, I'm really dating myself now by saying Friendster, and you're like, "What was Friendster?" But yeah, it it was like one of the original like social networks was, was Friendster. Um, yeah. yeah, it was pretty interesting, but, but yeah, I, I, I didn't really start being active on LinkedIn. Like, and by active, I mean like logging into it consistently until like 2018. Mm -hmm. Even then I didn't start posting content until just like April or May of 2020. So very oh, wow. recently. Um, but I'm dying to know, man, what's it like being LinkedIn famous? Like, do people flag you down like in New York? Oh shit. That's Kate Strachny. Kate, Kate. You know what? They actually do. So if, if I go to, no, if I go to a data conference and, uh, right before COVID I attended, I attended a bunch of data conferences and even in, even in like Toronto, right. I'm in New York. Um, in New York, it happened a lot in, in Boston and California, people would literally just say, Oh my God, are you Kate? And I was like, Oh my God, I don't know you <laughs> because these are people who have probably never liked or commented on any of my content and never actually engaged, but they've seen me for the past, 
you know, five, six years posting every day. So they feel like they know me. And I would, you know, we'd get into a conversation and I'd say something and they're like, oh, we know that. And I'm like, oh, okay. I know nothing about you. So I definitely had a couple of awkward moments where I was walking around by Bryant Park and some guy sent me a connection invite saying, hey, I think I just saw you uh, walking by Bryant Park. I'm like, okay, that's weird. But yeah, plenty of the people saying, are you Kate? And actually giving autographs. So I'm LinkedIn famous. (laughs) That's so cool, man. It's it's sad, but yeah, that's... that's (laughs) Dude, that's so cool, man. So next next up for you, is it going to be TikTok? Because I I hear you're like doing big things on TikTok. So I created a TikTok account in probably May and I closed it in June. So... I closed, I closed TikTok, I closed Instagram, and I deleted Facebook in June of this. Not for any reason. It wasn't like something happened because everyone's like, what happened? Somebody attacked you. I'm like, no, it was just like taking up a lot of time. But see, from LinkedIn, it takes up a lot of my time, but it's my job. Like, this is what I do, right? And I love it. And I don't feel like I'm wasting my time. I don't really get business coming in from TikTok, Instagram, or Facebook. It really is a time suck. I know people enjoy it and people use it differently. And in some cases they use it for business and it works for them. I think I've not invested the right amount of time or have not approached it the right way. But for me, it simply was not working. So no TikTok for me in the past few months. It is very addictive though. I would go there to consume content, which it's not great. On LinkedIn, I mostly produce content, um, which I am am pro-producing and anti-consuming so much. So... You've written a few books. Like, what was the process like writing these books? Like, where did the inspiration come for for writing these books? Like, was the first one was the Disruptors? Was that the first book, or no, no? So the first book was the Journey to Data Scientist, and I actually have a video, a YouTube video of myself. I recently watched it from when I was working with Tableau for probably a year or two at that point, and I wanted to become like a real data scientist, right? I wanted to learn coding. I wanted to learn all of that stuff, machine learning. And I made a video announcing to myself, I guess, and whoever else would watch it saying, I'm changing my career. I'm going to be a data scientist. And in that process, I wanted to talk to people, right? People who had the the role data scientist on their job titles on LinkedIn. And I started interviewing them, asking them, like, how did you get there? What was your path? Because I know it's a lot easier to go on a journey once you've heard other people's stories of like what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And after a couple of interviews, I'm like, wow, this could probably be a book. I could save somebody else some time and, you know, here learn about these 20 plus people's journeys to data scientists. And, you know, I realized that they came from all these different backgrounds. I think one guy had a music background. So I realized anyone could actually get there if they truly wanted to. And that was inspiring for me. The reason for writing that book was really just to save, save time for other people. And it was my, it was my practice book. Like, well, what is it like to self-publish a book? I looked into getting a publisher. I decided to self-publish and ended up self-publishing the other books as well. Um, but, but yeah, that was the thought process for that first one. That's interesting. Like you're saying that um, people are coming from different backgrounds, coming into data science and even thinking about how you mentioned back in, in college, you were saying earlier that it doesn't matter like what you study in college. And I 100% agree with that definitely think anybody can break into data science like just because you studied one thing in college doesn't mean that you can't learn something different to get to where you want to be um but i'm curious like what are your thoughts uh, as to like where the education system is headed in the future especially now with this massive disruption with with covid yeah i mean i'm saving money for my kids college fund but i doubt we'll use it um i think things are changing i mean my kids are four and six so who knows what will happen in the next 12 years or so Um, I went to college and I don't regret it, but to be fair, I only spent three years doing a four-year program and it cost me about $9,000 total, right? I had no debt. I paid it as I went with my minimum wage job. Um, And I think that college experience was great for me because I learned a lot. I learned finance and it actually ended up helping me in life, like communications, presentation, and that social aspect of things. But I think where we are now there's so much available online and you can basically create your own custom college experience. I think as long as we're able to compensate for that social interaction and networking aspect of things, we can probably not need everyone to go to college, right? Like I still want my doctor to go to college. Um, But I 
necessary for, let's say, a data scientist. Obviously, it's easier if somebody has a computer science degree or something for them to get into data science and learn all the other aspects. I, I don't think it's, uh, it's a requirement anymore. Yeah, I, like, I personally would like to see it go back to kind of those apprentice master days mm-hmm. where you have, you know, like uh, you don't need to learn trigonometry in high school unless you plan on being an engineer, right? And you probably don't need to take biology first year college unless you want to become a doctor, right? So just extremely just focused pads under guidance of maybe a four or five key mentors, I think would be a really interesting way to take education in the future. Um, yeah, absolutely. The apprenticeship model can work, I think, across so many different industries and professions. And I think we can easily swap out those, the, those courses like trigonometry and stuff for things like time management, productivity, taxes, um, you know, social skills, networking, and, and how, to, how to apply for jobs and, you know, things that really matter when you graduate. So. Yes. Like I find myself having to go back and unlearn a lot of stuff and just kind of relearn it so that I can be a more fully functioning adult human in society. Uh, Like I I wish that I was taught at a very young age, like just decision-making skills, right? Like that's huge and it's not hard. Anybody can understand it Um, or soft skills. Like you mentioned, like, I mean, I feel that's kind of lacking with a lot of data professionals. What's your take on that when it comes to soft skills? Yeah, I think it's give or take, right? I mean, some people are really good at it. Um, I think in general, data scientists, software engineers, and, and folks like that, they get a bad rap because I think people have an image in mind. Oh, it's like the nerdy person sitting you know, in, in a cubicle by themselves, crunching away at numbers. I think we're moving away from that because there's such a demand for you know collaboration with the business, collaboration with all the stakeholders that are going to be using whatever that data product that um, you're working on is. And I think soft skills are extremely important and becoming more important as we automate or build methods to automate a lot of that data science process. It's become even more important to be able to communicate with the business, tell them why you're doing what you're doing and, you know, not necessarily the how, but the why and how this is going to be used. So very, very important. I'm not exactly sure how we teach that aside from practice. And I think apprenticeship is actually a great way to teach that because if you're following somebody and you know trying to emulate somebody who's doing a great job at it then that's how you learn and even like take it one step further great way to do that is just tell people like hey it is okay to be your whole self your whole person like yeah you might get paid to do this one job as a data scientist that's cool but you don't need to define yourself by this particular career path right like i mean i'm so much more than a data scientist i would hate to be just pigeonholed as oh he's just a data scientist i'm like nah motherfucker i'm way more than that but speaking about being more than a data scientist like you yourself like you've got a whole range of different identities right you're you're a mother you're a runner business owner, right? So let's let's get into some of those identities. I, I'm curious about this Mothers of Data Science book uh, that you did with uh, somebody who we haven't heard much from lately, uh, Kristen Kerr. Um, what was that book like? What was the inspiration behind creating that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you the story of how this came about. So I met, I met Kristen um, a few years before that book. And I remember she messaged me something about me like mentoring her, mentoring her in social media or something. I'm like, oh no, I, we don't have to do anything formal. Let's just chat, right? We got on a call. I interviewed her for Humans of Data Science and I knew she had two kids and I have two kids. So that's what we had in common. And um, she lived in Boston. She still lives in Boston. She's just been super busy with her kids with the homeschooling. Um, so she's taking, taking a LinkedIn break. That's why we probably haven't seen much from her. But I remember I was on Facebook at the time when I still had Facebook and I messaged her asking her like, Hey, do you want to write a book with me? Let's call it mothers of data science or something along those lines. And she was like, Hey, great, let's do it. So we didn't really know each other too well, but we both knew we had our own experiences to share because we wanted to show other women, um, specifically mothers, because I think there's just one extra layer of difficulty once you have kids that gets thrown into the mix. Um, we just wanted to share our stories and then we felt it would be really cool if we can include some other people's stories. And so we interviewed people like Kathy O'Neill who wrote, you know, Weapons of Math Destruction. And we interviewed Carla Gentry and like six, seven others from different backgrounds and who also have kids of different ages and, you know, different experiences. 
And we basically interviewed them, shared our own story, and put that into a book called Mothers of Data Science. It's, it's really kind of a, a journey of mothers and their careers of how they started to work in data science, what was their experience you know, during maternity leave, during their pregnancy, coming back to work and working with colleagues who thought they'd been on vacation this whole time, you know, dealing with that kind of stuff, or even applying to jobs when you're eight months pregnant. There was one woman who went for a job when she was eight or nine months pregnant and she got it. So it was like, it was really inspiring to hear those stories. Uh, we even had one of the mothers uh, say that, you know, she's not encouraging mothers to get into the space. She's like, why would I encourage people? It's, 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 um, you know, so male dominated and all that. So she was an outlier from the other stories that we heard, but it was good to hear both sides of that, both sides of that coin. That's really powerful. I'm glad you guys like came up with that idea and, and pursued it in that manner. Like that's such a powerful concept to just talk about what it's like to be a mother in data science. Um, I got mad respect from others. Like we just had a baby like five months ago today. And <gasps> yay. Yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> You're so cute. Yay. Yeah. But like, see how much my wife has to go through. I'm like, wow, that is an insane. So you know. <laughs> insane. Yeah. And, and I mean, and we're in Canada right now. So we get like um, a year maternity leave. I can't imagine having like six weeks. Like, I think that's what it is in the States, right? Like six weeks or so. Yeah, my company provided a total of four months. It was funny, actually, because when I was pregnant with my second child, they just extended it to six months. But I had the baby a week too early to take advantage of those two extra months. But at the time, I was working from home full time. So I really did not mind, you know, going back to work six months later. Yeah. Um, because because I was home with 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 the kids, so I really for me it didn't matter if I had to work at night or you know make up work after that. The company was really nice; like I had a great manager. She also had like four or five kids, so it was really easy for me to manage all of that. Um, but but yeah, there there are definitely some challenges you have to face. It's like right when they start getting cute, like that's the four four month mark, and they're like super cute. Like that's in that peak cuteness between four months to a year, and it's like damn you got to go back to work that's i hope i I know when they start moving around it's i i couldn't imagine having to leave them like i would leave for one day a month like i was mentioning and that one day a month was already like what am i gonna miss you know Mm -hmm. and people who don't know they're like oh come on you're probably so happy to get this break and at this point they're four and six yeah i'd be happy to get that break like they're still adorable but yeah now i don't feel like i don't have that fear of missing something like their first, I don't know, time sitting or saying something or walking or something like that. It's just this instinct where you, you don't want to miss out. Yeah. Like when they say it goes by so quick, like it sounds super cliche, but like it does. And I've been, I've been home this entire time for the pandemic. We're still working remotely until at least like January and just being able to see him every day, like multiple times per day, like it's been such a blessing. So glad for the pandemic in that respect um yeah my six-year-old just told me this morning actually she said you know the good thing about coronavirus oh my god there's a good thing she's like oh we don't have to go to school because i'm I'm homeschooling them well my husband's homeschooling the four-year-old which is a blessing because homeschooling two at the same time is um borderline impossible it's like managing two different zoom calls and you have to listen to them both and they're they're both they both have four and six-year-old kids screaming so it's like yeah. It's not easy. Speaking of homeschooling, like I, I'm like a huge proponent of that. I keep telling my wife I want to homeschool our kids, but I would homeschool them with the great courses. Have you heard of the great courses? The great courses, huh? Yeah. So the they're freaking phenomenal. They're awesome, man. So uh they have them now on Amazon Prime and they're like an add-on channel for Amazon Prime. Um not that Amazon Prime is sponsoring this episode. If you guys do if anybody from Amazon is listening and wants to sponsor this podcast. I'm, we, could talk, we could talk but yeah it's like an extra add-on to amazon prime and it, the great courses and they line you up with so many amazing classes like they've got classes on um just neuroscience psychology they got classes on how to code mental math the history of rome mythology like this wide variety of subjects like you can create a school curriculum proper for for at least you know three three years um, yeah, it's really, really cool. Wow. I just wrote that down. I'll look into that. Thank yeah, you. definitely. And if, if you know anybody at Amazon, let, let them know they can sponsor this podcast. Uh, Calling <laughs> all Amazon sponsors. Yes. Yes. 
<laughs> talk, talk to me about this passion you have uh, for running. You ran 50 miles in Central Park yes. at, one t- at one time. At one time, actually all within Central Park. Wow. So I know there's plenty of miles to go around in New York. I've done a couple of interesting New York runs. One was um, the perimeter of Manhattan. That was 36 miles. I did a 10 park run, which started off in Queens and then went up to, I think, North. I, I don't know if I ended up in Bronx, but I definitely ran through Manhattan and ended up in Brooklyn. I, yeah, I don't know why. I think I have an obsessive personality. So whatever it is I do, I'm going to do it like a crazy person. Like I know people are like, you just need like three, four miles a day to stay fit. Um, but last year, I remember, I think it was January 1st, where I'm like, I'm going to run a thousand miles this year. Now, it doesn't sound that hard because it's over a year, right? You can do anything over a course of a year. And a few days into it, so I'm running, you know, and my husband's like, did you even do the math? I'm like, the math for what? He's like, did you look at the data, right? He's also a data person. And he's like, that's like a 5K, right? Three, three something miles every single day. And most people train for like four months to do one 5K. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be okay. I'm like, I'll do a couple of long runs. I'll take some breaks. And I remember getting up to December 1st and I was at exactly 900 miles. So I knew I had 100 miles left for December. Um, This was last year. And I decided to make the challenge a bit more interesting by adding uh, 10% of my body weight, uh, a weighted vest, right? To run with a weighted vest. Just, yeah, I can get crazy. And I remember my last, my last run was like, 13 or 14 miles again in Central Park, even though I live in Queens, I did some of those um, organized runs pre-COVID. And I remember worrying that they might not let me run um, with, with the vest on because I know they have restrictions ever since some, some idiots blew up some kind of run, I think Boston run, right? Or something or a couple of others. Uh, But I remember they're like, Oh yeah, we don't really care. It looks, it looks safe. You can do it. So I was kind of excited and disappointed at the same time because that was one of the longest runs with that weighted vest. But yeah, I think it just goes back to my obsessive personality, but I truly enjoy the physical aspect of it and also the uh, ability to be, to listen to an audiobook or just listen to music and, and have fun with it. Um, like, was this something that you did like in high school as well? Like, did you run track and field or? No, no. So um, it was funny. So in 2018, it was like, May of 2018, I posted on LinkedIn that I want to run 100 miles in May. No reason other than I wanted to get fit, right? And I'm like, if I post it, people are going to say, oh, wow, look what she's doing. And then I have to do it. So I did that. I ran 100 miles in May, um, which made me, I mean, it put me through a lot of pain because I was not a runner at the time. And I remember my brother, the same one who was the accountant earlier on in my story, he had run a half marathon at some point. And I thought that was stupid, first of all. I'm like, you have nothing better to do with your life. I'm like, why, why are you running 13 miles? Like, are you dumb? And uh, that same month, that, like when I finished my 100 miles, I'm like, oh, wow, anything is possible. Maybe I should run a marathon. At that point, my longest run was six miles. A marathon is 26 miles for those who are not familiar with marathons. But I called him up end of May. I'm like, listen, I made this accomplishment. I want to run a marathon, the New York City Marathon, which is apparently not that easy to get into. So he's like, you just called me an idiot for running a half marathon. Now you want to run a full marathon. And uh, yeah, so I, I started researching, you know, how to get into the New York City Marathon. Again, my obsession turned on and I ended up raising like $3,000 for charity just to get a slot to pay $350 to run in a marathon that I was not prepared to run. Um, but then throughout that training, I just learned to to love it. And that was my first marathon in 2018. That's crazy. Just the last couple of years when you started just running that. Yeah. Um, I think I'm on pace to eat a thousand cookies this year. Um, so, <laughs> Are you uh, tracking them? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. <laughs> Shit, probably more than a thousand by now. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm how about the goal, man? Set the goal and then uh, yeah. 10x that goal, according to Grant Cardone. So you should you be go. eating 10,000 cookies this year and then do it. I'll start keep, keeping track. It started today. Uh, so like, do you have like a f- favorite pair of running shoes that you have? I run in, in Nikes. I think they're they're called Nike Free or something. It has a really small sole and it's yeah. like fabric shoe. It's, it's very low tech. It's very, very simple running shoes. I researched that those are probably the best and they're comfortable. Nice. I had this pair of Nike shoes uh, that I bought a couple years ago. They're the Air Max 97s. 
And okay. I bought them because when I was growing up, like so 1997, I was still in middle school um, and my parents weren't, didn't have money or anything. Right. And I really wanted these shoes when I was that age. Like they're like my dream shoe. And I held on to this dream shoe for like 20 years and it came out in 2017. I finally bought them. It was like childhood dream come true, man. It was awesome. You're, you're reminding me of a slightly embarrassing story. So I, I grew up on Payless, right? Payless shoes. Those were like two for one. Oh my God, get those quick. And I remember going to school and I think I had like four stripes where they were supposed to look like Adidas, but they had four stripes instead of three. Definitely had, you know, was made fun of, but I would never ask my mom for new shoes or I mean, God forbid, brand new shoes. One day she came home with a pair of Nikes. They had the little air bubble on the side. They were bright orange. I did not like them. <laughs> I'd rather wear the pair. But she was so proud to give them to me. And I mean, like, really, this is junior high school. Like, really proud. Like, any person who would come over, she'll be like, look, we have real shoes now. And I'm like, oh, God. So I had to wear those shoes. I should remind her of this story. And I don't think I ever told her how I really felt about those shoes. Maybe I shouldn't. Don't let her listen to this episode. <laughs> but, yes, um, I, I buy real Nikes now. Look at me. <laughs> That's interesting. Like, you know, like, I, I was born and raised in California, but my parents were first generation to the States, right? My parents are for immigrants and it's interesting to hear the commonalities between the immigrant story, even though we're <laughs> completely different cultures and, and ethnicities and whatnot, like for your culture, did your parents expect you to be either like a lawyer, doctor or engineer? Yes, definitely. Well, the, the, the high expectation is you're like a doctor, nurse or engineer wasn't really on that. Um, actually towards the end of, like us coming here, programming was another one of the things that they were adding to the list, but definitely a doctor or a lawyer meant you've made it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then like after high school, all they really want you to do is just get a job that makes money. So a lot of the men from my culture would end up doing things like jewelry, so like reselling jewelry or becoming barbers. That's also very common um, that you'll see people do that because it's, it's money now, right? It's yeah. not money later. Yeah, it's like 60 bucks for a haircut at some places. That's, that's insane. Yeah. So how do you explain to your parents what it is that you do? Um. Yeah. I mean, just say you're, you're working with data. That's what I kind of say. But what I do now is so different. Like, so my niece, my niece is a hairdresser. She's at 25 and she wants to become a data scientist, right? She didn't finish college she wanted, she switched into hair. She was going to be a dentist because of the parents, like be a dentist. And then she's like, I hate this. I don't want to touch people's mouths. Became a hairdresser. Now she's like, I don't want to touch people's hair and heads. I'm like, okay, well, we know what's next. So now she wants to be a data scientist. And she's like, well, what do you do? Like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I do a lot of different things, right? It's so hard for me to explain because what I think she should be doing is maybe data science consulting or, you know, go do a project somewhere. But it's not exactly what I do. So when I try to explain, I remember one of uh, one of my relatives was here from Israel and he's like, so what do you do? I'm like, oh, I work with computers, right? Start with the basics. I work with computers. It's like, so you're a secretary. And I'm like, not exactly a secretary. And he's like, so you, where do you work? I'm like, well, I work from home. He's like, so you knit. I'm like, how do he basically asked me if I, if I like, if I knit, uh, there's another way to say it. Like if you knit designs or something and I was like, no, no, no. So, and when I was at a bank, people would tell me like, oh, so you count money. Like it's, it's very hard to explain to those who don't know. I mean, I work for a bank, but no, I don't count the cash of that bank. Like it's very different. I'm a risk analyst. They're like risk, but what was risk got to do with banking? And I'm like, oh God. So I, I stopped trying to explain. I just, I say I make pretty pictures of data and I keep it at that. Like even, even my kids know at this point what I do. So. That's interesting. Speaking of like the basics, like trying to explain to somebody what data actually is. Cause some people like data, like what, like what's data? Like my mom, like for example, my mom, dad, like data, like what, what, what is this data? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> and it's like, okay, well here's a spreadsheet. And then here you can put numbers in here. We've just yeah. made data. Yeah. I make it even simpler. Like um, I use the example of the bagel store because we would count out how much money we made that day. Right. And you know how many expenses you spent that day. And like, so that was your, you know, those are your data points. And we look at it over time. 
you could build trends and line graphs. And I kind of ease into it with like a, a tangible example of a small business that makes money because it's something most, most people can relate to. Yeah. Don't even start with spreadsheets. I mean, they'll be like, what? <laughs> yeah. You definitely have this explaining stuff to people down, like, like writing a book about data literacy for kids. Like talk to me about that. I have not checked out that book, but I'm definitely going to put that on the wish list. Talk to me about this, like data literacy for kids. Like that is such a cool concept. How did you come up with that? And then walk me through how you had to explain some of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So this book I wrote again with someone because I thought it would be a lot of fun to write this book with Jordan Morrow, who's the head of data literacy at Click, and he's got five kids of his own, right? So he knows all about kids and data literacy. And I know about self-publishing books, and I figured it'd be fun to work together. So what we decided, we actually met up at a conference at one point, and we're like, let's make this, uh, we, we targeted ages five to 10 or something, right? These are really young kids. And we wanted to just tell them what is data literacy in a very simple manner. So we created a treasure map, okay? So we're these um, two of my kids, five of his with fake names. Um, there are seven kids that are playing by a lake somewhere and they find an iPad or, or a tablet, right? They find a tablet that asks them a question and it's all about how do you read data? So they, they're tasked to read data, you know, analyze data, communicate with data and so forth by going through this treasure map. And then along the way, the tablet shows little charts and they have to select the right answer. And then, you know, it, it's currently just an ebook. We have not had the time to make this a paperback yet. Maybe for the holiday season, I should put that on my very, 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 very long list of things I want to do this year. <laughs> but that, that's pretty much the book. It, it doesn't really get into like how do we build a bar chart or anything like that, but it goes over some of the basic concepts of how do we read, write with, analyze, and communicate with data. That's so cool. So <laughs> if it's an ebook, you can just like print it out. Do you have a printer at home? Do you still print stuff? I haven't printed things up until March of this year. Um, so the only things I print is I print a one pager for every one of my LinkedIn live shows because I like to have the questions that I'm going to ask printed out just so I have them, right? And now I have to print stuff for their school, especially the four-year-old. She already knows that we're going to print her worksheet from school. The six-year-old, they're, they're kind of doing everything online and they've provided the books. But I personally prefer not to print anything um, even my to-do list for the most part is in an Excel um, Excel doc. I have a notepad here for, for note-taking, but other than that, it's it's all on the computer for me. Yeah. I I started recently printing out just a shit ton of stuff. Like literally I got so much stuff. Print. My wife bought a, a brand new printer like a couple of months ago and I was like, well, all right, I'm just gonna start printing stuff, which has been great. And I found it very helpful, um, especially when it comes to like reading books to prepare for the interviews I have on the podcast because when I have the computer up I am immediately distracted by other stuff and it's nice to be able to just print out a chapter from an ebook and just have mm -hmm. it sitting right here on my desk so I can just read and highlight and, and get get to it uh, yeah I've never read more than probably half a page of things on the computer I prefer if I'm going to read a book it's going to be in my hands or it's going to be in my ears. Like yeah. I can do an audiobook. I can do it. I definitely prefer to read a book, um, but I never got into reading those Kindles or things like that. I simply cannot do it. It's, it doesn't feel like I'm reading. I can read through LinkedIn feeds all day, which for some reason is different, but a book I can't read um, online either. So, What are you currently listening to on audiobook? The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. <laughs> nice. I, I'm about halfway through it. Yeah, I did that on my long run. So that was fun. I, I went through this really... So, okay, so backtrack a little bit. I didn't really start reading books until just a few years ago, right? And I went on this really... I was on some really weird like head trip for a while where I was like, oh, I'm only going to read books if they're published around scientific research and stuff like that. Like really just limiting myself. It was so stupid. I don't know why I did that. But I like, you know, downloaded Grant Cardone's book. It just sounded like he was fucking yelling at me. For like the yes. first few chapters. Don't be a victim. Yeah. Don't be a victim. And I was like, man, just, I, I can't, I can't take this right now. Like stop yelling at me. Uh, so I had to put that away. I'll, I'll give it, I'll give it another go. I'll give it another, another shot. Um, but have you, because like, Audible has a very generous return policy. 
Um, if you have like their premium membership, or whatever, you could you can get books, listen to them, and if you don't like them, you can just return and get a credit back. So mm. I, was, I was doing that for the longest time, and I I was exploiting a uh, I guess vulnerability in their app, whereby if you download a book, it remains on your actual device, even if you return it and get your credit back. But they've since changed that. So I went through a tremendous number of books. I had to return only one book and I read probably 20 or so audiobooks at this point. I used to do this a lot um, during my commute and during the long runs. But yeah, I returned one because it was simply just terrible. I mean, I should have listened to the reviews it went against. I didn't remember the exact title, but it was it was just bad. What was it about-ish? It was about, it was some kind of marketing book. So this is when I knew I was going to go off on my own. So I was reading all these, like the one page marketing book and business books. And um, yeah, this one was just, it was just really poor quality, poor audio quality and poor content quality. But for me, once the audio is bad, like if I don't like the person's voice, which I always listen to right before I buy the book, um, I'm not going to do it. That's why I haven't recorded my books in audio yet. Because um, I know, should I record them? Should I should, should, I should get you to record them because that would be a lot better. <laughs> People would prefer that. Sign me up. Sign me up. I'll read it. Uh, you, $10 a word. Let's go. <laughs> for you, Kate, seven fifty a word. <laughs> awesome. So do you re- listen to your audiobooks like at single X or do you speed them up at all? Sometimes I speed it up. Uh, it depends on how on the delivery. I've never slowed it down. That's for mm-hmm. sure. So sometimes I speed it up, but uh, most of the time I listen to it at regular speed. I think it's when I'm running that I actually speed it up because it keeps my pace going. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've experienced some really amazing audiobooks um, that they would not have been the same had, had I read them as a book book because they were read by the author. So that was really powerful. Uh, which ones? So, uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. So good. So good. Yes. I mean, he did it podcast style, right? Where he was, the, the other guy was reading the book and he would ad lib it and, you know, add, add comments. Oh my God. I mean, his story is just crazy, amazing, inspiring. And he's a runner. It was like... Um, I remember I recommended this book to a friend and she's like, are you trying to be David Goggins? I'm like, no, I'm not trying to be David Goggins. I just like running because I was running before I listened to David Goggins. Uh, but yeah, that was one of my favorite audiobooks that I always recommend to people Yeah, because it just shows you no matter where you are in life, um, you can turn it all around. It's all up to you. It's the strength of character, right? Like you just need that. I mean, sometimes we need an example for us to recognize that we can train and discipline our character. Um, mm-hmm. And if you don't have any examples in your immediate circle of friends, then reading a book, reading someone's story is like the next best thing. David Goggin's story is insane. He's, he's truly inspirational, all the shit that he's been through and then what he's been able to accomplish. But that warrior mindset, man, it is, it's crazy. Um, there's a, a, artist Akira the Dawn I might have sent this to you and he took David Goggins like interview clips and just made an album out of it yeah yeah he did send that to me oh my god it's so freaking fire like he's got this song on there taking souls oh my god dude like like I was listening to it yesterday I was spazzing out man it was so good (laughs) yeah there's there's another really good one uh by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin Extreme Ownership not sure if you heard of that one yeah also delivered by the authors and it's freaking amazing it was like i wish i think they actually did come up with a new book and i i think i already have it i used up my credit i just haven't listened to it yet i'm yeah that book also changed my life because yeah. it's all about owning everything like, everything yep. yeah i think the new one is that the field manual no it was i, I don't remember the exact title i think yeah. my husband already listened to it he said it's very similar but i don't care i just yeah. like i like their delivery um, I like their stories and it was just very, very good in, in every way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Akira the Don also took Jocko Willink and made him into an album as well. So oh. send you a link to that. Okay. It's super good. He's got the, the, the discipline equals freedom track. Oh my God. It, it's fire. I'll send that to you. Actually, I, I, uh, I bought my, like my son's only four months old. He can't read or understand anything, but I bought him Jocko Willink's book, uh, for kids. And okay. it was, um, oh wait, I think I saw that. Yeah, the way of the warrior kid or something like that. 
Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. I remember seeing that in the in my feed somewhere. I think maybe even on LinkedIn, because uh, yeah. Jack was on LinkedIn. So. Oh shit! I gotta add him on there. Yeah. But I I went on this trip where I just bought a bunch of children's books written by my favorite authors for my son. So like books by Simon Sinek, Seth Godin, Ray Dalio, like all these people happen to have children's books. So I just figured, yeah, let's just buy them. And yeah. your kid's ready. That's it. He's got yeah, his man. school education ready. He's got his books. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to be just the most positive role model I could be. Like, I mean, I don't, don't mean no disrespect to anybody like my dad or my uncles growing up, but I just didn't have like a, a positive role model that could really teach me how to live my life. You know what I mean? Like how to, what it, what it means to be a good person, what it means to be a good man. Um, and, you know, I've had to rely on a number of books and, and stuff and just putting together my own life philosophy. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm ready to teach this little kid some stuff. Um, about, about I, can't, that. I can't wait. I can't wait to see him grow up. Yeah, man. He's, he'll be, Prime Minister of Canada. We'll see. There you go. <laughs> so what else are you reading? Like, so we talked about your audiobooks. What are you reading like, like paper, paper wise? So I actually, I got this book, uh, I think yesterday or something. I have, this is my weekend reading. Mm. It's called Live Longer with AI by Tina Woods. I'm interviewing yeah. Tina on my LinkedIn live show on the 15th of October. So about a week from now. So it's a thick book, but it's all about how we're going to live longer and healthier lives with the help of artificial intelligence. That's my weekend reading. Um, I'm actually looking forward to it because I've been getting a lot of technical books in the mail lately. Like, Hey, read this machine learning and AI book. But this one's actually like for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. How do, how do we all as humanity live longer and, you know, reduce some of the inequalities between wealth and health across the globe. So she's interviewed a bunch of people as well. Uh, one of the people she's interviewed is the, the strongest man alive, um, Eddie something. I forget his last name. But I'll learn it this weekend. Uh, but that's that's on my list this weekend. <laughs> nice. I'll check that out. Is that out by Pact as well? Yes, that's by Pact. So it just came out, I think, yesterday or the day before yeah. on Amazon. So it's like we're doing a, a big launch and uh, I'm excited to be part of that. Rubbit never sends me physical books. He just sends me PDFs and I have to like beg him for the PDFs. Oh, you just got to tell him um, I don't read PDFs. Yeah, I'll tell that's him. That's what I said early on. Rabbit knows. Rabbit knows I'm not going to open a PDF. So. Yeah, like, he, he like lines me up with interviews. like, all right. That's cool, but like I need the book to actually like come up with questions. Yeah, because I'm not going to read it, so I can I can do an interview, yeah, without the book, uh, yeah. without reading it. But no. Yeah. So, Rabbit, if you're listening, right. give me so, give me physical books. So, like I'm interviewing like somebody I'm really really excited about um, next week on the 18th. Um, this is probably going to come out much later. Um, but so uh, Donald Robertson wrote this book, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor. Okay, interesting. And um, Stoicism and the Art of Happiness. Stoicism. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's that on my shirt. Me- Marcus Aurelius is on my shirt. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know. So I had, I had a plan to read 20 books this year for 2020. Mm-hmm. And the first book, and I have like this book club online. The first book we all read was a book on Stoicism. Oh, which one? It was the um, Stoicism, A Guide to Happiness or something like that. Uh, it was a very, very small book with like green leaves all, all around it. Um, but that okay. was my first intro to, to Stoicism. Very interesting. Yeah, that's uh, definitely shaped my life philosophy. Like, I mean, here's practicing Stoic. Like, I got all these books here. Just wow, look at that. <laughs> lives of Stoic. And then like 10 more on my bookshelf over there. So, so you're not reading research books anymore, scientific books anymore, huh? <laughs> Not at all. Like that's, I get paid to do that. So I'll do that during work hours. Um, yeah. Have you read the deep work? Oh yeah. Cal Newport's book. Yeah. Yeah. That book is phenomenal. Um, I tried to get him on the show. Like, cause I interviewed Scott Young. And, okay. Yeah. Scott Also Young. learning. Yes, I think okay. we read the same books. Yeah. yeah. Are we in the same book club? <laughs> might be, might be. Add me to your book club. I'd love to be part of that. Um, but yeah, I tried to get Cal Newport on the show. Let's see if I could still pull that off. Um, Good luck with that. I know it's not yeah. easy to, get people to do things because I remember trying to get a few people to um, interview for my disruptors book, mm-hmm. like Bernard Marr, who's like, I don't know, the number one business influencer or DJ Patil, who's the chief data scientist at the white house. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what's the worst that could happen? I'll ask them. They could say no. 
And some of them actually did say no. The, the founder of, uh, of Python, I remember oh, yeah. he was like, I'm not a data scientist. I'm not a disruptor. How dare you reach out to me? And I'm like, okay, bro, relax. We don't have to do this. Like, yeah. I've got a list of other people I can go to. It was very, very weird. But I've actually heard that that's, that's how he is as a person, um, the founder of, of Python. Yeah. And I don't think he minds having that reputation. Maybe he works to have that reputation. But aside from him, everyone else pretty much said yes. But I remember thinking that I probably won't get them. You know, like Cal Newport would be awesome to have on your show. And I'm pretty sure you'll get him on. I mean, Cal, if you're yeah. listening. If you're listening, Cal, yeah. I mean, Along I- with Amazon. Come on, guys. <laughs> I was slowly moving to a place where I'm interviewing just authors that have written cool books. So recently, like um, I've just got a huge influx of authors that I interviewed Nir Bashan. He wrote Creator Mindset. Kristen Bush, he wrote Serendipity Mindset. Um, Camilla Pang, she wrote Explaining Humans. I've got a bunch lined up. Um, my God, my board is all full. So it's crazy. Just a lot of reading to get done. So I'm like between now and November 21st. I've got something like 25 interviews lined up. Um, Whoa. So you have to read 25 books or at least skim through 25 books. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So let's jump into a real quick random round, Kate. Uh, but But before we do that, I want to ask you, it's 100 years in the future. What do you want to be remembered for? Um, I think you know, I would like to be remembered for being the person who's enabled other people to accomplish their goals, whatever those goals are, right? Including running, getting a job, putting themselves out there, public speaking. Um, I think I, I do want to influence more women to just go out and do stuff. Like I, I remember going to a, a conference and seeing a woman up on stage and I was like, oh, wow, she looks so comfortable up there. Like maybe I could do that one day. So I, I aspire to be the woman that others see on stage and or on LinkedIn Live, uh, knowing that it's okay to go out there and do stuff or like running, right? Sometimes I run past little girls and I'm hoping that they'll see, okay, yeah, maybe I could do that. If like basically do whatever you want, right? Whatever that thing is, it doesn't have to be data or running, but I hope to inspire people to show them that um, you can do whatever you want to do. I absolutely love that. I think you are most definitely well on your way to doing that because I mean, you've definitely already done a lot of that so uh, thank you so much for for all that kate so first question in the lightning round uh, if you could put up a billboard anywhere what would you put on it dedicated i can actually hold on if it's my screen oh it's that's my dedicated a, trademark right trademarked. there nice that's my nice. trademark i would just put huge letters dedicated yes <laughs> that's awesome uh i, I got a pick your brain about how to come up with the uh, shirt designs too. Cause that's, that's next on, on the Indian for yes. uh, So what do you believe that other people think is crazy about something specific or oh, just anything? Oh, what do I believe that other people think is crazy? Yeah. I, I guess maybe uh, the way of raising children. And I know this is lightning around, but I got to think about this. Um, I'm very relaxed in how I raise them. Like I'm okay if they climb something and hurt themselves or do something really dumb as long as they learn a lesson. And I think I'm surrounded by people who think that's really crazy because they're like, look, your daughter's climbing on this thing. And I'm like, oh my God, wait, hold on. Okay, go. I'm like, go, go, go. So I can at least remember this moment. And because that's how I was raised. So for me, it wasn't crazy. But I think in, in the area where I live now, uh, people are very, very strict with how their kids behave and how they do things. Like, I, I need my kids to be disciplined and listen to me, but I, I pretty much let them go wild and, and hurt themselves so, and their girls. So, If you could meet any historical figure, who would it be and what would you ask them? This is a lightning round, right? <laughs> You're going <That's> okay. <laughs> to... We'll fix it in Yeah, her free. Skip this question. I know I <laughs> there's nobody. I've been asked this question before. Like, who would you have a drink with? I'm like, I don't know. Like, my husband? Like, I, <laughs> I, I have no good answer for that question. All right. So what song do you have on repeat? I'm embarrassed to say the first one that came to mind. So I'll go with another one. Um, do you know The Sound of Silence? It's, it's, a, it's a song by Disturbed. And it's also a song by another group where they have a faster version of it. But it's, it's called The Sound of Silence. Okay. Tell us what the first one that came to mind was. 
was it was it rather not was move it, on was it master master <laughs> day <laughs> oh god after we're not recording i'll tell you a story about that no that's not <laughs> all right i'm gonna open up a random question generator and i will go ahead and answer some of these questions along with you as well okay so let's go ahead and pull this up this all right fun. first question we got what's your favorite candy i, I like lollipops Oh, nice. I'm a chocolate guy. I love, uh, have you had those Lindors? Like those? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Lindor truffles, of course. Yes. Yeah, those are good. Yeah, man. High maintenance. Love that shit. <laughs> Do you have any nicknames? Kate is my nickname. So my real name was not actually Kate. I've legally changed it. But Kate used to be my nickname since I was oh. 13. Yeah. What, what's your original name? Xenia. I changed my name like five times in my lifetime. Really? Walk what's your the- nickname? <laughs> Mine just... The Harp, Harp, uh, back in the days, they used to call me Fox, which is why the logo of my podcast is Fox. No. Five names. What are you? Okay, Kate. Well, okay. What are you running Long story short, I had a middle name and I had a maiden name. Mm -hmm. I made my middle name my maiden name. I changed my first name. I changed my maiden name to my middle name. I changed my last name to my husband's name. I changed my first name again to, uh, to Kate. And then I went and got dropped my middle name to make it even easier. So Kate Spashne was never my original name by far. Who inspires you to be better? My children. Um, The fact that they look up to me and really follow and emulate what I do definitely inspires me to be better. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree with you on that. Um, I go upstairs and I see that kid just smile at me for like no reason. He's just like, was like, oh man. Wait till he actually copies what you do and say. It'll make a world of difference. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. It's it's yeah. so cute right now. Like um, like I'll I'll get under his armpits trying to attack him. I'll be like, mom, 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 we'll go attack him. Then he'll like grab he'll grab my head and then he'll like give me kisses with his like, Aww. Like, it's cute. <laughs> it uh, is cute. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to change your name. What would you Please shoot me. Team? I already told my husband that he leaves me. I'm not changing my name. <laughs> like, That's a nothing. random I'll change to Harpreet. <laughs> That's a good name. That's a good name. If I had to change my name, dude, actually, there's a point in my life where I was like on the verge of changing my name. It's actually for a bad reason, right? Um, before getting into data science, I was trying to become an actuary. Um, so I took a bunch of exams and you know, studied in grad school that was like the, the plan was being actuary and even though i had the qualifications even though i had like like i was like the, the guy for the job i was never getting back any callbacks on my resume and i was just like what the fuck man is it because of my name right because i heard like having a foreign sounding name doesn't sound great yeah um so i was going to change it from harpreet sahota to harper singson yeah that was what mm-hmm. my was what my name was about to be that is why I changed my name, though, because people um, in the U.S. couldn't really pronounce my first name. It was so annoying. Every time they mispronounced it, it hurt me in my mind. So mm-hmm. then I'm like, just change it. Yeah. I mean, you think about it this way, man, like my name, Har- Harpreet, that's two, Harpreet, that's two syllables. Like It's not hard at all, Harpreet. Like I mean. Jonathan, Nathaniel, all these names have more syllables than my name. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm glad you kept your name. Yeah. Yeah, if you could live in a book, TV show, or movie, what would it be? I mean, I think um, I grew up watching Friends and Full House, so either of those, they seem like, I mean, at this point, I think Friends, given the age, right? But as a kid, I think I wanted to grow up in a Full House type of lifestyle where everyone um, had a, a huge house and they got along and they all just like hugged each other and it was all nice. Or Matilda, oh my God, I have so many movies I want to oh be Oh my God, Matilda. I wanted the magical powers, yes. I guess, I mean, speaking of magical powers, I think I probably would have been on the show, like, Heroes. Have you heard of Heroes? No. Is it a recent show? Uh, like, mid-2000s, maybe 2006 or something like that. Um, yeah, so that that's a show with just, like, superheroes and stuff. Um, but they're, like, everyday people who have superpowers. What's on your bucket list this year? Dedicated conference. Got to do it. And I want to break 10,000 registrants. So let's see if that happens. We're 3,500 right now with only two weeks to go. I need a miracle. Send nice. me a miracle, little ducky. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <That's what> <laughs> <is>. <laughs> nice. Oh, man. Bucket list for me this year. Um, shit, man. I haven't even really thought about that. Um, I guess this year it would be cool to get a cabin during Christmas 
somewhere in Kenora, which is in Ontario, and um, just right on the lake, and just chill there for like five days. I think that would be wow. absolutely beautiful. That sounds a lot easier and more straightforward than mine. I love it. <laughs> you just got to <laughs> throw some money at it and you got your wish. Yeah, this is the last awesome. one. What's your worst habit? My worst habit? Um, probably talking too much. I don't know. I think when I have conversations with friends, I tend to do more of the talking and I'm trying to work on that. So I just try to stay quiet and let people come up with their own things that they want to talk about. That was a hard one. I think for me, it's like I bite my nails. Um, <gasps> yeah. Yeah. I, need to. I have this nail polish I could send you. It's like bitter nails or something. Yeah. Um, send them to me. Yes, please. Out it's disgusting. Products. You will never put those nails in your mouth again. Yeah. I had to use it for my daughter when she was eating paper. Oh. Um, yep, she ate paper for like a good while in her childhood. Wow. <laughs> um, I hope she watches this in the future. She would eat toilet paper, cardboard paper. My husband's passport still has bike marks on it. So she was a baby. She was like probably seven or eight months old. But she did it for a few months to the point where the mail would come. And I'm like, no, get the mail. She's going to, she would literally eat it and digest it. Like she would eat the paper. I thought she was never going to be normal. <laughs> I'm like, we can't send her to school. I literally thought she would eat her homework. <laughs> like I was legit worried. I was doing research. I was talking to the doctor. Stop. It's not funny. She would eat the cardboard paper in the garbage outside. Like she would just attack it. Oh my God. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. So I, I used a little bit of that nail polish I would actually buy her books that she can chew. They have these indestructible books for babies. Yeah. So she yeah, would yeah. chew on them and get pleasure out of it, but she couldn't eat them. <laughs> At least that was good for me. But then I put a little bit of that nail polish and um, yeah, I think she threw up and never did it again. It was really disgusting. Most That's kids hard. have as their excuse for not doing homework. Oh, my dog ate my homework. Like your older <laughs> sister or older daughter could be like, oh, my little sister ate my homework. <laughs> yeah, she was the older one. But yeah, that was... Yeah. Yeah, that sounds even worse. My older sister ate my homework. <laughs> yeah. Actually, like, uh, so speaking of, like, biting nails, um, like, I'm too scared to use the nail clipper on my son, so I just bite his nails. Yeah. Yeah, I clipped my second daughter's nails while at the hospital a few hours after she was born because she came out with, like, this, like, really long nails. Um, wow. like, I, I, have, I had a lot of confidence handling babies. I don't know. Nice. I had a lot of nieces and nephews. They're, they're two kids out of 12 of my mom's grandkids. So I was always surrounded by babies. It didn't scare me. Just use the nail clippers, man. <laughs> yeah. I heard people do that, though. Yeah. I got the idea from a book. So I, mean, I guess you learn some good things and bad things from a book. So, Kate, uh, how can people – like, it's such a dumb question. People already know where to connect with you and where to find you. But just <laughs> how can people connect with you where hmm. can find you online? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what was that word? I think it's LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. I think LinkedIn works. Or, I mean, go to storybydata.com, dedicatedacademy.com. I've got um, not much of a Facebook or any other social media uh, life out there. But Twitter is at storybydata in case you want to find me on Twitter. But, yeah, LinkedIn's got to be the best place. Kate, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come on the show and just talk about pretty much nothing and everything all at once. I really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. Truly a pleasure. One of the best uh, podcast interviews I've been on. So thank you.